true friendship from God's perspective. Next on Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Friendships, they come and they go, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And a great illustration of that can be found here in 1 Samuel. Hi there, and welcome to today's broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church in Hercules. When you need a friend, we're in 1 Samuel chapter 18, we would invite you to join us there as we take a look at true friendship. From our series, The Life of David, Here's our teacher and pastor, Phil Howard, with today's broadcast of Truth For Today. Turn, if you will, to uh, 1 Samuel 18. Today I want to speak on when you need a friend. The way you seem to get friends in life is learn to become one. Because there's not anything that you have less control over than whether people will like you. Uh, when you start out in life, Peterson says these words. It always comes as something of a shock that not everyone likes us just as we are. And the church said, amen. Uh, some of you fulfill that only a mother could love you. I'm looking down on purpose. Uh, <laughs> We enter the world, most of us anyway, cuddled and loved, cared for and coddled. We're so lovable and so loved. But it doesn't last long. Sometimes it doesn't last much past our first change of diapers. Sooner or later, we find ourselves treated as trespassers or rivals, the enemy. We're going to examine friendship today, and we're going to examine the marvelous friendship between David and Jonathan. And then I will later look at the great friend we have in Jesus. If you don't have anyone else that wants you for a friend, I know someone called Jesus that wants you. Uh, these are common conversations with people in church. You hear this. What I long for, Pastor, more than anything else is a friend. I'm busy in the Lord. We have a great marriage, but sometimes in the church, I feel lonely. Have you ever had that experience? That you'd be here and the place is packed, and you say, I feel lonely. Where do I belong? Who cares for me? Another person. Before I trusted the Lord, I had a lot of drinking buddies. But since I've become a Christian, I do not have one close friend where you can just bear it all and order up a Bud Light. Uh, or this person, I feel so alone. I'm afraid for anyone to get to know me in case they do not like what they find. John Powell, uh, in an interview one time, just came off with a profound, probably the most profound statement he ever made in any of his books on love. And he wrote a book off of the statement, but it was in an unrehearsed setting. And someone just got to talking to him about relationships. Why don't people have good relationships? And uh, why is it so hard to get to know people? And unrehearsed, John Powell made this statement. I am afraid to tell you who I am. 
Because if I tell you who I am, you may not like who I am, and it's all that I have. I don't want you to really know me because if you reject what I really am, that's all I got to offer. And so instead of showing what we really are, life becomes the art of learning to play charades. It's the art of living the masquerade party. You learn to play roles that give you acceptance. You learn to do things that push buttons in your parents for their approval, but inside you've got maybe a different agenda. Uh, you learn to play to this crowd, that crowd. One man has likened it like going to a carnival, and there's all kinds of mirrors. And pretty soon you look at this mirror, you're tall and skinny. Over here you're short and fat. Over here you go like that, and you start to believe all the mirrors, and you forget who you are. And that's people's expectations of you. So we become artificial, poured into the mold expectations of others. Because we can't be authentic. We can't be vulnerable. We can't be transparent because that equals rejection. And no one wants to be rejected. Eugene Peterson wrote some other words. He says this. Each of us has contact with hundreds of people who never look beyond our surface appearance. We have dealings with hundreds of people who the moment they set eyes on us begin calculating what use can we be to them. It's the uh, children's minister and youth minister. Every time they see you, they're trying to get you in their department. <laughs> no, that's just a little joke. But I mean, uh, but you can get that feeling. Uh, what can they get out of us? Everybody's got an agenda. They want me to meet their agenda. They don't care if I ever reach my own. We, um, they treat us as something less than we are. And if we're in constant association with them, we will become less than we were meant to be. Then someone comes into our lives who isn't looking for someone to use, is leisurely enough to find out what's really going on in us, is secure enough not to exploit our weaknesses, or attack our strengths, recognize our inner life, and understands the difficulty of living our inner convictions, confirms what's deepest within us. This is a friend. One of the greatest epidemics that psychologists have said at the end of the 20th century, and that is still with us, is the epidemic of loneliness. Uh, a high-tech culture in which you can become a computer freak and that your whole living relationship is 40 hours a week in front of a screen and you've got to go to a chat room and you're talking to people, you're having invitations by people that you've never seen their face or you've never had any time with, you don't know their character. It is a culture that is becoming lonelier and lonelier. Teen suicide abounds because I'm among people, but being among people doesn't mean I have a friend or that I'll ever be a friend. David Thoreau said, most men live lives of quiet desperation. American novelist Thomas Wolfe said, the whole conviction of my life now rests upon the belief that loneliness, far from being a rare and curious phenomenon, peculiar to myself and a few other solitary men, is the central and inevitable 
fact of human existence. It abounds among men. Women are much more relational than men. Men don't like you to know their weaknesses. They don't like you to know what's going on in them. It makes them too vulnerable to show any weakness. Women are our nurturers. Women are, are the ones that are so relational. Women uh, chat. They can meet and not have to get anything done but just being with each other. Uh, you get five men in a room for about 30 minutes. What can we do? Let's do something. I've heard everything I want to hear. What can we do? So we go drive nails or, you know, try to beat each other in a game. Because that's fun to beat somebody up. But just to know them, it gets boring. Uh, Alfred Tennyson, he visited Queen Victoria. And when he came back from the meeting, he said, Up there in all her glory and splendor, she was a lonely person. Sirach, a Jewish writer, wrote... This is one of the apocryphal books in, in apocryphal literature. says, a faithful friend is a strong shelter. The man who finds one has found a treasure. There is no substitute for a friend, and there is no way to measure his value. Let me uh, switch my sermon from the first service. I'll, let's look at Jonathan and David, and then we'll come back to Jesus and us. What are the things that we could find in a friendship that are strong? Now, let me tell you something about this Jonathan David story. David's anointed at age 12, according to Eugene Merle, his chronology. David is believed to kill Goliath around age 17. David goes to Saul's court for maybe three years, stays there until he's 20. At 20, he becomes a fugitive and an exile because Saul has made six attempts on his life by that time. And so David is on the run. David is on the most wanted list of the king of Israel. Uh, David doesn't have anything. He flees, and when he gets down to Adullam, down by the Dead Sea, he didn't put out a call. All of a sudden, 600 men join him. But when he originally flees, it's David versus an entire country. It's David by himself. He's obviously God's man. He's an anointed man of God, but the paradox of history is God's men often go through a whole lot of suffering before God's promises are ever realized. If you don't believe that, interview Joseph from a coat of many colors to be thrown into a dungeon and being falsely accused by a wicked woman. Who could ever guess that that would be the way he'd get to the throne? You can't figure out God most of the time. You don't know what he's doing in your life. If you won't bail out and if you won't do something tragic, he's liable to just come through and do it in spite of how you're feeling today. Just hold steady. You might be ready for a promotion. Maybe somebody's going to visit the jail today and say, we need someone to interpret the dream. Be ready. You never know when the steps lead out of the dungeon instead of down to it. So we come to this young man. A young man fleeing for his life. And in the midst of the garbage heap of all of Saul's animosity, jealousy, and satanic influence against this young king-to-be, the greatest king Israel will ever have, in the midst of the garbage heap, a rose sprouts. And it's Jonathan. And let me tell you, Jonathan is the hero in the David-Jonathan story. David doesn't 
set up the friendship. David needs a friend. Jonathan is willing to be a friend. Jonathan has nothing to gain from it. He's, you know, the son of the king. It's going to cost him. It's going to be risky business. He dodges the spear a few times himself before it's all over with. Because it's risky business taking up with a man that's in exile, running for his life, not real popular at the time, because the popularity of killing Goliath quickly subsided and jealousy took over. But we find in uh, Jonathan's treatment of David at least seven things that we can do for others to befriend them. My challenge to you today is to stop looking for friends and to learn to become a friend. You'll drive yourself batty wondering, why doesn't anyone like me? The question you need to ask is, who do you like? You can be in charge of that, can't you? I can't be in charge of you liking me. And you seem to be in total agreement. (laughs) But I'm in charge of who I like. I can't make you love me. I'm not in charge. I'm not responsible. God's never going to ask me when I stand before him, did they like you? That will never come up. It's, It's just doesn't pertain to the argument. But God will ask me someday, who did I love and who did I befriend? He will not judge me for those who chose not to be my friend. And you get people get around in loneliness and discouragement, and many times they think the answer is God send a bunch of friends. But what we need to learn, the only part that we can really do here, David was the beneficiary of a friendship, but Jonathan was the man that chose to be the friend. And he's the man we want to emulate. And I see seven things that I think he did that we can emulate. First Samuel 18. After David has killed Goliath, it says in 18.1, after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David. He just chained himself in spirit to him. And he loved him as himself. Now, that is his choice, right? Didn't say David did. He just chose to love him. He just, in his spirit, he just joined. Man, because this man had went out and routed the enemy in God's power himself in chapter 14. He says, here's another man of faith and courage. I love this man. I love what he did for Israel. So he made that choice. From that day, Saul kept David with him, and he did not let him return to his father's house. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. This was a friendship covenant. You know, it's almost like exchanging rings, or if you're the corny cowboy days, we just flipped the wrist, and some of you went too far and nearly killed yourself. But, you know, they became blood brothers kind of stuff. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing, and he gave it to David. Now, this Jonathan is a prince. David's a poor boy. This boy has access to the king. He's a king's son. But he's befriending a ragged, no-name shepherd boy, the son of Jesse. He says, I want you to be my friend. Take my tunic. Here's my sword. Here's my bow, and here's my belt. He initiated the relationship. Life never serves well those who've chosen to be passive. Life will never serve you well if you've chosen to be neutral and passive. If you don't want to do anything, you're going to get worse. 
And if you're ever going to be close to people, it will never come by being the one that always has to be sought, the one that always has to be pursued. A friend is someone who reaches out, and many times they have the advantage and they reach for those that don't have the advantage. And so David will never forget this man, and it's a gift from God that he just bound himself to David, and they become friends. He initiated the relationship. Well, everything's pretty good. At this point, you would think a lot of folks would want to be his friend. The nation's impressed with him. He's a national hero, but it doesn't take long until Saul's throwing spears and hating him. And so we come in chapter 19. Verse 1, Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. Now, here we're only one chapter. It doesn't take long, does it? Because the king's offered to let him be the son-in-law. In verse 23, he says, well, I'm just a poor man and little known. I don't want to be your son-in-law. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's putting him in a plot to get him killed. It cost him killing 200 Philistines to do this. It was a plot to kill him. So now, since he escapes this, Saul calls a cabinet meeting. By the way, everybody, kill David. But Jonathan was very fond of David and warned him. My father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. Be on your guard tomorrow morning. Go into hiding and stay there. I will go out and stand with my father in the field where you are. I'll speak to him about you and will tell you what I find out. Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king do wrong to his servant David. He has not wronged you, and what he has done has benefited you greatly. He took his life in his hands when he killed the Philistine. The Lord won a great victory for all Israel, and you saw it and were glad. Why then would you do wrong to an innocent man like David by killing him for no reason? Saul listened to Jonathan and took this oath. As surely as the Lord lives, David will not be put to death. So Jonathan called David and told him the whole conversation. He brought him to Saul, and David was with Saul as before. Once more, war breaks out. Verse 9, but an evil spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he was sitting in his house with his spear in his hand. While David was playing the harp, Saul tried to pin him to the wall with his spear. But David eluded him as Saul drove the spear into the wall. That night, David made good his escape. A friend is someone who covers your back when you're not in the room. Someone who talks about you when you leave the room is not your friend. A friend is uh, someone that uh, I think can uh, warn David. In the midst of defending David, he's warning David. I've seen some friendships, they're absolutely worthless. They're detrimental. The sooner they end, the better. I, I see some people, well, they're going over the wall, but I'm not going to tell them. They're just going to find out for themselves. Deliver me from such people. I will die a hundred deaths with the silence of their mouths. Jonathan warns David, get going. And then he defends him to his dad at the risk of his own life. Uh, you need friends, and you need to take up someone that you know is being slurred and being talked about. One of the most courageous things one of our men did years ago, two of our men, they both lost their job, 
is there was, happened to be an African-American they were working with that kept being slighted and never given a promotion. And both these men happened to be Anglos. And they kept seeing the injustice at this firm in San Francisco. And both men said, we will not stand by for this kind of prejudice. And both lost their jobs. But they won their suit. And it cost the company millions. As they said, you're wrong. We're going to stand up for a fellow workman that is being done wrong. And we're not going to sell him out. We need people to stand up for those that have character, willing to put their influence, their status on the line for those who need a friend. You see, David needed Jonathan. Jonathan didn't need David. Because Jonathan never gets one benefit out of David all of his life. But he's got a boy named Mephibosheth that will get it after he's dead. And after he's dead, David will sing a song in tribute to him in 2 Samuel 1 that he tells what a great man and how his love for Jonathan was greater than that of the love for women. And that's not a homosexual verse. That's genuine male affection. These were warriors. These were not men of perverse desires. A defender. We all need one. Are any of us willing to be one? I love the line one time I was with a, a man in our church and he began to share about another man. And then he said to me, he said, I just want you to know I'll say nothing in this car that I wouldn't say if that man were in the back seat. Because I don't talk one way when they're present and another way when they're gone. Friendship that's really a defender. Find out a friend is loyal. And look at this man. He's going to warn David. He winds up with him in chapter 23. Going out when he's hiding, he warns him. He shoots the arrows in chapter 20. Flee, my dad really is going to kill you. I mean, the covenant he made. And he kept renewing that covenant. Isn't it quite a thing? None of us today make friendship covenants. People don't like contractual. The only thing we contract today, and we don't do much of that, is marriage. We know we got all these prenuptial agreements, and I'm just going to live with her. I don't want to make a promise. I want to be free to walk anytime. If you get pregnant, babe, it's over. Have you ever heard of those kind of relationships? Deep love. If you get pregnant, well, what do you get pregnant with? You get pregnant by me. You mean if I get pregnant carrying your baby, you're going to walk? That's right. No woman I'm with ever gets pregnant. How deep a love can you get? A friend is loyal. Listen to Proverbs 17, 17. A brother loveth at all times and is born for adversity. A friend sticks closer than a brother, Proverbs 18, 24 says. Here he speaks in David's defense. He's loyal to the hilt. He renews his covenant three times. He makes it several times. And he finally, in chapter 23, says, I know you're going to become the king. I may die, but promise me you won't extinguish my family. And David does everything he can to spare Jonathan's family. And this is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard, the ministry of Valley Bible Church here in Hercules. Thank you for joining us today. It's our prayer that our time together here on Truth For Today encourages you in your walk and relationship with Christ. As we close out our broadcast, we would also like to invite you to contact us if you have a 
question about the broadcast, a prayer request. Maybe you'd like to order a copy of today's broadcast. We do have them available. Simply contact us and let us know of your interest. You can reach us at 855-833-9864. That's 855-833-9864. You are also welcome to write to us. Our address is 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue. We're here at Suite 278, Hercules, California. Zip code is 94547. Now, another way to contact us and learn more about us would be to visit our website, valleybible.org. It's there that we have all kinds of information about who we are, what we believe, directions to the church, service times. And we also have a lot of resource material stored there as well. Simply go to valleybible.org and spend some time exploring our website, finding out about us a bit more. If you would like to become a TFT sustainer, we would love to hear from you. This broadcast is aired daily here on KFAX as we are able to partner with you, our listeners, financially. Now, as a TFT sustainer, you'll receive a quarterly newsletter, a once a year special gift. Take a break with Pastor Phil. Our weekly video devotional is available to you as well. And again, it's all as a TFT sustainer. When you contact us with your gift of any amount, we'll sign you up. 855-833-9864 or valleybible.org or you can write to us at 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California, and the zip code is 94547. Thank you for joining us today. Until next time, God bless.